Hi, I'm Jonathan, and this is the Bosnia Project Podcast. The Bosnia Project is the chronicle of my life as a world traveler, youth worker, father, and husband. The Bosnia Project is the story of how I came to live and work overseas in this country called Bosnia and Herzegovina. It's my blog, bosniaproject.com. It's this podcast, it's our Facebook community, and the email updates we send out to our supporters and followers. The Bosnia Project is a process and a product all wrapped up into one thing. And this podcast, the blog, and everything else is a way to catch all that work, write it down, record it, preserve it, so that it can be of use to somebody else. This is the Bosnia Project, and it will continue for a good while longer. This is the first episode in the series that's going to attempt to answer several of the questions that people ask me about Bosnia. We're going to talk about communism, America, atheism, religion. There's going to be a lot of issues thrown in here together. I hope you like it. Today's episode is called Winter But Never Christmas, stories about the holidays in Sarajevo. This series is the essence of the Bosnia Project, giving people in my homeland, the United States, a feel for what's happening in the rest of the world, educating people about issues that people care about here, weaving in my own story where it's appropriate. I hope you enjoy it. The Olympics are a mood. The coming together of nations for the purpose of sport that inevitably reminds us of how things might be. And because they take place in various places around the world, they also remind us of how things have been, of man's history, his achievements, and his cruelties. The sports and the history together make us think of man's current status and his hopes and aspirations for the future. Sarajevo is an incredible place. It's not a large city. The metro area boasts a population of about 500,000 which is good enough for 10th place on the list of biggest cities in the Balkans, depending on who's counting. But there's enough history and culture in this place that somebody could spend a whole career and still not come to the end of all there is to learn or do or see here. Now, you should know that there are many other cities in Bosnia and Herzegovina with many other stories and lessons that aren't really focused on people here in Sarajevo. Sarajevo wasn't where the kings of the ancient Bosnian kingdom lived, for example. It wasn't an important place until the Turkish Empire came and built it up. But in the last 500 years, Sarajevo has been unquestionably the most important place in this region. In fact, you could even make an argument that today, Sarajevo is as important in world events as any other city in the Balkans. And its oversized role in world events has made it a popular destination for travelers who want to get off the beaten path. This is a bit of the story of Sarajevo and how it's affected my life over the past 15 years. Sarajevo is like a window into the east. Without leaving Europe, you can come to Sarajevo and be surrounded by mosques, minarets, madrasas, Islamic libraries, signs written in Arabic. Today, there's over 300 mosques in the Sarajevo metro area, each with its own minaret, those spindly towers that rise into the sky. The Islamic call to prayer can be heard everywhere five times a day, beckoning followers to the mosque. The prayer session is called Juma, and on Friday afternoons it includes the Friday sermon, which is usually well attended at the central mosque in Sarajevo's old town. But don't let that convince you that Sarajevo is a conservative Islamic city. Nothing could be further from the truth. The city was the capital of Bosnian entity in the old country of Yugoslavia, 
one of the world's large communist countries. And when the Berlin Wall was coming down in Germany, communism was also falling apart here in Yugoslavia, but for different reasons. That's all to say that for 45 years, up until 1991, the important people were atheists. While most of the people here have an Islamic heritage, few actually do the things that Islam teaches, the daily visits to Juma, the Friday sermon, and so on. Like Westerners who visit church on Christmas Eve, most people here just visit the mosque during the month of Ramadan, if at all. Most of the people here are Muslims, but if you just stop there, you'd have an incomplete picture of the city. Syria likes to call itself the European Jerusalem because in the old town, you have mosques, a Catholic cathedral, an Orthodox church, a Jewish temple, all within a hundred meters of each other. There's even a historic Protestant church, which today is the Academy of Fine Arts, right on the river. And it's this juxtaposition of so many different religions and competing cultures that's the source of so many stories here in Syria. One of the stories is of how the city hosted the Winter Olympic Games and played host to the world as a small city nestled in the mountainous region of the world's third largest communist country. This week, the lens focuses on a city that history visited once briefly in this century, then seemed to forget. We're moving through the mountains surrounding Sarajevo, Yugoslavia, where the assassination of an Austro-Hungarian archduke lit the fuse of the First World War, and where this week the athletes of the world are gathered for the 14th Winter Olympic Game. The cold, windswept loneliness of Mount Jim McKay, and I'll be occupying this chair at ABC Sports Control Center all through these 14th Winter Olympic Games. Just behind me, you see our control room, a bank of some 70 monitors in there with pictures from... For millennials like myself, and even for people a little bit older than me, it's hard to understand just what this means. I was three when the Winter Olympics came to Sarajevo. I can barely remember that there was a Berlin Wall. I don't remember the Cold War, except that it was the thing that was on the news every night, which my parents watched. Today, you can say communism and Cold War, and most of us didn't really know what to think. Soviets, what are those? The typical American version of what was happening in the 1980s is that there were two worlds, the communist world and the free world. In reality, there were other countries that comprised a third side of the Cold War era. Yugoslavia was sort of the leader of those countries. Yugoslavia was like one large country that, while it was a communist country, wasn't a puppet. It wasn't beholden either to the U.S. or the Soviet Union. It was independent and it had its own great leader, Marshal Tito. These young voices are singing the praises of Yugoslavia's greatest leader, Marshal Tito. Marshal Tito, who engaged in extensive diplomacy to try and improve his citizen standing in the world. Mostly, we learn later that he did this to get other countries to loan Yugoslavia huge sums of money, which Yugoslavia never paid back. But that's neither here nor there. In the 1980s, Tito was a leader of the International League of Non-Aligned Nations, which you can look up on Wikipedia. And he was heavily engaged in a campaign to bring the Winter Olympics to his country. If he could pull this off, 
then the eyes of the world would finally be focused on this little country in Eastern Europe, and they'd see the great work that he and his comrades had done over the past few decades after World War II. Incidentally, many of you have indicated to us in the past that you would rather not know the results of events before you see them here. So I will not tell you the result or the score of today's hockey game until it is over on your television screen. So everything seems to be ready for the games. There's plenty of snow up in the mountains, although here in the city of Sarajevo, as you've seen, there's no snow at all. The athletes are here. We're here. There were two other candidate cities for the games, Sapporo, Japan, and Gothenburg, Sweden. Gothenburg lost out in the first round of voting. Then Sapporo was passed on because it had hosted the games 12 years before, which left Sarajevo as the winner. This would be the second time that the Olympic Games would come to a communist country after the 1980 Games were in Moscow. The U.S. boycotted the 1980 Games but would decide to compete in 1984. The Olympics brought the world to Sarajevo for two weeks in 1984, and it was perhaps the crowning achievement of the communist regime in Yugoslavia. Sporting venues were built, Mountain resorts around the city were modernized, expanded. Torval and Dean of Great Britain earned across the board perfect scores in ice dancing, a feat that was never matched. Scott Hamilton scored men's gold for the United States and Katarina Witt won the first of two consecutive gold medals for East Germany in ladies figure skating. The Winter Olympics in Sarajevo happened so long ago, it's like a legend now. So few people actually remember it happening, but it is part of the city's story with winter being such a big part of the city story it often catches westerners off guard that our favorite winter holiday is nowhere to be found here with the history of communism and the prevalence of islam christmas has never really been widely celebrated in sarajevo In fact, there is a famous recording of a medley of Christmas songs that includes the city's name in its title, the Trans-Siberian Orchestra's Christmas Eve, Sarajevo 1224, which is a combination of God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen and other songs with a cello, orchestra, and a rock band all coming together to make one unforgettable song. If you're from the US, I assume you've heard it. Now, I wasn't really able to find evidence to back this up, but I have often wondered about the name the band chose to give this song. It was inspired by the cellist of Sarajevo, which in itself is another story entirely. But the name seems to be intentionally styled to be respectful of Sarajevo's culture while still letting people know that it's a medley of Christmas music composed for Christmas. Americans celebrate Christmas because we come from cultures that are mostly Christian at one time, and Christmas was the pinnacle of religious holidays. So if you wanted to sell the album, you had to let people know that it's Christmas music. But in Sarajevo, there are no Christmas lights, no Christmas trees, no exchanging of presents. Historically, kids didn't go to visit Santa Claus at the department stores and the vast majority of people never gone to church. 
That's because for almost 50 years there was communism, and today the vast majority of people there are Muslim. It's as if there is no Christmas. It doesn't happen here. So in a very real way, Christmas Eve isn't Christmas Eve in Sarajevo. It's just another day. It's 1224. This is how I remember coming to Sarajevo, having never really experienced life in another country. It was 2003, I was 23 years old, and one of the first things I was told was that Sarajevo is the land where it's often winter, but never Christmas. For those brought up in conservative American circles, that line is meant to evoke scenes from the Chronicles of Narnia, a series of children's books written by the British author C.S. Lewis. The fantasy land that his characters went to was called Narnia, a place ruled by a white witch who kept the entire country under a spell of perpetual winter. The winter in Sarajevo started early. The first snow was always in October, and then starting in November, snow usually stayed on the ground until March. One year, we had to alter travel plans because of snow in June. In the years since I first arrived in Sarajevo, Western economics has slowly taken over, and while most people still don't celebrate Christmas in their homes, most of the stores have taken to a casual observance of the holiday in order to encourage people to spend more money. I can remember the Christmas of 2004 when some colleagues of mine were shopping in the city's one large modern mall ahead of Christmas, and they spotted a Santa Claus with some other Christmas decorations suspended by ropes from the ceiling overhead. There were snowflakes, stars, nothing extravagant, all hung up overhead, but the Santa Claus was the one alarming part of this. The way the Santa Claus had gotten hung up there, it was suspended by a rope, and the rope was tied around its neck. Rather than a celebration of Christmas, it looked more like a public hanging. I'm sure nobody really noticed it, and it's all just as well. To Muslims, Christmas probably seems like a really strange holiday. It would be hard to argue if somebody tried to say that it's just a way for stores to sell more toys and electronics. For most people in the West, the economic celebration dwarfs the spiritual celebration of family, love, and Emmanuel, God with us. The hanging of Santa Claus was most likely unintentional. But in retrospect, maybe one could take it as an omen. Wouldn't it be great if Christmas was known more for its real meaning instead of just as side stories? In conclusion, Sarajevo has many stories. The Olympics, Christmas, 1224, those are just a few. And these stories are part of a diverse city with an incredibly rich history and culture. This was the place that I came to as a young adult and that eventually drew me back here to live. ...are those that fought alongside him during the war. Tito and those Yugoslavs who lost their lives in World War II are commemorated in memorial parks throughout the country. And for the story of one of those memorials, here is John Denver. Thanks, Jack. I'm standing at the Vratza Memorial, which was built by the people of Sarajevo three years ago to honor the thousands of their fellow citizens who were killed in the Second World War. This spot was chosen because at that time it was a mass grave. This is the part of the podcast where I like to give a few time-sensitive updates and keep you, the listener, aware of what's going on here. The rest of the podcast is more evergreen. You can listen to it at any time of the year and enjoy it and get some meaning out of it. But now I want to share a little bit that's more urgent or relevant to what's happening now, the week of the New Year's Day, 2019. This past couple of weeks have been pretty full. Just like with any other small business or organization, there's lots to do. 
and it's hard to put the work down and take a few days off just because it's a holiday. For people like us, the holidays are the time when there is usually more stuff to do, more people to talk to, more opportunities. In December, we had several things. Mainly, our ministry planned a humanitarian project with our students for this Christmas season. We partnered with a local charity called Together for Our City. They run a Christmas program every year for children with special needs in our city, where they put together Christmas packages with snacks and chocolates and candy. And then they organize a presentation where they do music, skits, dance, and bring in Santa Claus for these children. Our part was to collect donations for these packages. So our students spent two days this month standing in local supermarkets collecting donations from shoppers, and then we also contributed gifts of our own. It was a great project. We ended up collecting more donations than they needed, which made everyone feel really good. Together for Our City ran two Christmas programs, one at the School for Special Needs Children and one at the National Theater, and they publicly recognized us and our students for collecting all the donations. It was a great event for our students and great for us. The last several days have been filled with family time. Our family decided to forego presents this year and instead went on a family trip up to Sarajevo to enjoy their Christmas market and see some old friends and stay in a hotel. It was the first time we've done something like that. It's easy to forget about the true meaning of Christmas. We give gifts and spend time with family, but often these things can distract us from the gift of Jesus Christ, the one who made Christmas possible. And just like my kids, we can get tired of that gift pretty quickly sometimes and end up playing on our iPads instead of enjoying real conversations and relationships with real people. My hope is that I and my family can always remember there's more to the season than just the toys and the gadgets. As I said, I think there's a lot more than, that goes on here. I think it can be felt in this room. I think these young people feel it over at the uh, Olympic Village. I think that uh, what was just said addresses that. So this is my song what, about what's beyond the gold. It's called, as a matter of fact, the, uh, the gold and beyond. On a snow crystal morning, some place close to heaven. On the side of a mountain, in a race for the sun. In a matter of moments, the dream of a lifetime is won. There's a fire in the heart. This podcast was made by me, Jonathan Trousdale, using my laptop and a few little gadgets and apps. If you've enjoyed this, if it's enriched your life, consider helping us keep going and doing what we do. Donation instructions are on the blog or in the show notes, and it's easy to give online. I hope you've had a great Christmas, and I hope you'll listen again. This podcast is on the list of things I'd like to improve in 2019. I'm also toying with the idea of a weekly email, which will include more show notes and content for those listeners who would like to go deeper. I'll let you know soon about what we come up with. In any case, have a great New Year's. And we wish you all the very best in 2019. Thanks for listening. In the eyes of the mountain, all people are equal. In the eyes of all people, our soul can be seen. In the course of our struggle, we'll know what humanity means.
gather together to face one another. We gather in silence to sing for the sun. We gather in peace to go for the gold and beyond. Okay, John. Thank Quite you, a John. moment in downtown Sarajevo, a touch of Rocky Mountain High. On the streets of Sarajevo. Donna, thanks very much. Thank they you, will, Jim. They will come back to you a little bit later on. Thank